So Apple, they're back in the news. Uh, obviously uh, been left out of the smartphone conversation a little bit lately. There's been so much going on with the likes of Huawei, Samsung, and so forth. They kind of jumped back in, though, a little bit here, uh, granting an exclusive, never-before-seen look at their privacy and security work. Some of their testing facilities, they invited a very specific person. They didn't invite me. They invited Andrew Griffin instead from independent.co.uk. They let him in a facility, and he, he brought a couple of hard-hitting questions. Some, some people are perceiving some of the answers to those questions as potentially some, some sort of shots at companies like Huawei, the, the sort of passive-aggressive style shots. You know, Apple's been making all these claims relating to privacy specifically, and that, that's kind of that's an area that's un, under a new layer, a new level of scrutiny in the public eye, in the technology segment in general, not just physical technology products like smartphones, but also for companies like Facebook, Google, and so forth, and how they treat user data and where they store it and the whole big picture. So some are perceiving some of the answers within this particular interview as shots at those various competitors, at those various companies uh, the individual interviewed Craig Federighi. You've probably seen him on a stage before at a keynote address. It's very likely, in fact, that you've seen that. Uh, so he's a, he, I believe he's a product guy. Anyhow, he, uh, he hosted this tour around Apple's testing facility, and they were abusing some of the chips, some of Apple's processors and other equipment, showcasing how durable they are so that they're ready to go when they end up in a user's smartphone. But then the, then the interviewer, to his credit, got into some slightly more hard-hitting questions relating to privacy specifically, and also some claims that had come through from the likes of Google's CEO relating to this idea that privacy, that Apple sort of treats privacy as a luxury, given the entry point of their products, the price point for their products, like, the, like what it costs to get into an iPhone relative to the rest of the technology marketplace. So as we know, the internet is made up of these, uh, these various monetization strategies. We talked about it in previous episodes. You can get the things you want on the internet by paying for it. It's possible. Like, for example, right now, Will has his ad blocker paused on this website, and it means we get a billion terrible ads on it. Alternatively, you can pay this website for a premium experience, which some people presumably do, but it's likely a much smaller number than those that put up with the ads. What are they charging? 10 bucks a month, for example. So now you get this privilege of not having to see advertising. Well, Google has, of course, taken the alternative approach. They gather every little piece of data on you. They show you advertising almost with, almost with every product that you utilize from them or at least eventually when you get to a, a search browser or a Gmail or wherever it is you happen to go. But they give it to you for free. And most of their services, at least on the surface, are free. It's in exchange for your attention. But that means it's more accessible. And that means, for example, in the land of smartphones, the vast majority of human beings on planet Earth are on Android because time and attention is a thing they have that they can trade, unlike the thousands of dollars in the bank necessary to purchase an iPhone. So this is the exchange. I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying there's benefits and drawbacks to either side. As a technology enthusiast and fan, you want many people to have access. So you want to have these options available. But I, under, you know, I understand Sundar Pichai's criticism that he's sending Apple's way. Of course, they disagree. They say, you know, we just we make the, the best products we possibly can and we charge our, our prices accordingly. But here's where things get a little squirrely in this particular interview as uh, Federighi is making these statements relating to how important privacy is to Apple and how privacy represents a, a human right in, in their, uh, fr from their point of view within Apple. Then there's this really weird thing of Apple recently agreeing to store certain user data, we're not really sure what, in China specifically as a consequence of doing business in China, having Chinese customers. 
So apparently there's some iCloud data that is stored within China. And then that means that that data has to follow the guidelines of the local government there who apparently could get access to this data. Now, Federighi says that's not the case. This stuff is encrypted. So what if it's being housed in China? But here's the thing about that. If it's encrypted and completely inaccessible, then why store it in China at all? What would be the purpose of China themselves demanding that or Apple taking them up on it? Unless in, in, a, in a certain circumstance, that access could be granted. You see what I'm saying here? Like if it's completely inaccessible, then why have the data center in China at all abiding by China's particular rules? So the criticism being lodged here, the potential criticism you could lodge is you could say, okay, if this is such a fundamental right, if this is so important to you as a, as a human right, are human rights different in one place compared to the next? Do you... Do you change, do you make this uh, consideration in China in exchange for those customers there while granting them potentially a different user experience, a different privacy experience from customers elsewhere in the world? Now, Federighi doesn't say that. Again, he kind of moves around this question very carefully, but his, uh, his official statement on the matter is that, hey, it doesn't matter if it's stored there. It's still encrypted. Only the end user can get access to it. And in Apple's, to Apple's credit, when they've been pressed in the past by the American government in court, they've resisted as much as possible as far as uh, disclosing private information of their users wherever possible. I'm not sure that's going to work in China, though, Will. You know, we, we, we know a little bit. We've been around the block. We've been in this for a bit now. And uh, of course, I'm speculating, to be clear. But I'm saying... If you're in court in China and you're like, nah, we don't want to, we're not going to release that information. What, you think that's going to fly? I don't know. That's up to interpretation. Anyhow, this is Apple's stance. This is uh, the interview that they did. They're showing off their, their amazing processors, their chips, and of course, this enclave that they designed to store as much personal data as possible on the device. Here's what I will say. As much as I'm not necessarily buying their China story, the way it's being told in this particular article. Uh, it's at least nice that they're talking about it, I guess. Like, they're, like the fact that they're talking about it, I feel like instills a certain sense of confidence in Apple customers. In other words, like, you're out here constantly using the word privacy. If all of a sudden... It, that's not the case for me as an end user. I can come back on all this and be like, look, this was, you claimed this was your job. I don't know how tangible that is. It's not a thing that you can hold on to. But to have a company publicly talking about it could be a warm blanket for certain users, especially when you use terminology like Apple's secure enclave. You see that, Will? Don't you want to be in a secure enclave? I mean, you go home at night, you get into bed in your own little secure enclave. You see that? It's very robust. It's, I mean, secure. I mean, it's like Fort Knox in there. Yeah. Your, your apartment is like Fort Knox. Secure enclave. Mm -hmm. No one's going to mess with you when you're in there. I mean, it just sounds good. It's good marketing. But uh, there are other critics of Apple specifically, mostly to do with the China policy, the fact that they have the data center there. Uh, of all people, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook fame, he came out and said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Of course, Facebook doesn't do business in China at all. Google, the same. Uh, so they're saying, okay, here's this company constantly talking about privacy. And, uh, and they're the ones to go into China where obviously the restrictions and the, the behaviors and the interaction is different between the, the government and, uh, and these uh, telco providers and so forth. So anyhow... It's, uh, you know, the tech, the tech warfare continues. And unlike yesterday when we were reporting on Huawei saying some, some, the CEO saying some very positive, some very nice things about Apple, there seems to be some veiled, some veiled hits in here. Uh, it seems like uh, it's, it's strategic, right? This is a good time to, to grant this exclusive never before access to their testing facilities to their privacy strategy to get an article out like this out there into the news cycle. No one's talking about Apple all that much. It's a lot of negative news for 
Huawei, we've already covered. And then even Samsung, right? With the fold, they can't make it. It's delayed. It's like, come take a look. Everything is smooth sailing over here at Apple. You know, it's very strategic from that standpoint. I don't know why this particular individual from Independent was the one invited, but in the past, Apple's been very, very strategic with the PR mastery. Like, who do we, how do we get this story out there and so forth? So you combine the timing, the privacy talk, and then the addressing of Google uh, specifically and the criticism there. And it's sort of, you can start to understand how there are, there's some veiled combat going on here in the tech segment. And Apple's going to keep leaning into this privacy thing. And they're going to keep claiming that that's the difference. That Google just wants all your data. They want to know everything about you, which they do. They don't even, they don't pretend. Uh, and that they don't care about you in that way. That they just, you're just a customer to them. And they don't want to know what you ate for breakfast. Like that's Apple's stance on the matter, at least publicly. Maybe privately, they, they that's what they love. Maybe in private, in their meetings, they're like, can you believe what Willie do have for breakfast? You know, you don't because it's unusual. It's unusual to have uh, uh, what'd you have for breakfast? <laughs> what'd you have for breakfast? Don't lie. <clears throat> I uh, I had rice. Yeah. Okay. Rice you is good. was it cold or hot? <laughs> it was semi warm. What do you mean semi warm? It's either cold or hot, uh, man. I don't like to eat hot food. Can you um, what I just heat it in the microwave for a little bit. Okay, so how long are you heating the rice? Maybe like uh forty five seconds. Forty five seconds. Yeah. Okay, that's I mean I'm calling that hot. But yeah, I, I hear deep. I hear you. You don't want it steaming hot, but anyhow. So it's pretty boring. Like I mean, you really don't want to know what Willie Do's doing for yeah, breakfast. It's yeah. so boring. Like I'm you know, get the eggs benedict going, all right? Yeah. Okay, next time. All right, next up, uh, Amazon sold someone a Moto Z4 before Motorola even announced it. What a, what a weird, what a crazy story this is. Forget about smartphone leaks, Will. Now it's, I mean, what, how do you even have an announcement after this? You don't. The guy bought the phone. Like, do you have an event? It's, it messes everything up. The pace at which the, the smartphone marketplace is operating now, it's like, Jeez, it's more phones than Amazon and Motorola can keep track of. What a, what a wild situation. Anyway, some end user noticed it, obviously, and like, hey, I'll pick that up. That's kind of interesting. So he got his hands on his Moto Z4 before Motorola even announced it. Can you imagine if this was like an iPhone or some higher profile device? Uh, that would be a crazy, I mean, it's a crazy story nonetheless. But anyway, what's special about this one is uh, it's going to have a 360 degree Moto Mod camera which will apparently be tossing in for free alongside the phone. So that's kind of an interesting add-on. And uh, it'll cost $4.99 based on the screenshot from the listing. Other specs include a 6.4-inch OLED display. That's nice. It's going to have a 600-series Snapdragon processor, 128 storage, 4 gigs of RAM, a 3,600 milliamp hour battery with 15-watt fast charging is going to keep a headphone jack. So, I mean, everything leaked out. Obviously, the guy bought the phone. You can see it here featured in his initial impressions video. <laughs> I like how he just goes straight into a video. Yeah, of course. I mean, you as you would, right? This is a big moment. You get your hands on a phone that doesn't even exist yet, yeah. at least publicly. It's like, let's, you got to shoot a video. For sure you do. So, anyway, that's a bizarre story. But it, again, it highlights something. You know, it it's indicative of the culture that we're in when it comes to technology, specifically with smartphones. The pace, it's a, it's a fever fever pitch. Is that, a, is that how you say that? Yeah. It's a feverish pace. How about that? Because it's, it honestly feels like there's a new smartphone coming out every day. Sometimes it feels that way. If you're following every single brand in every single market, like I got people hitting me up on Twitter. They're like, Lou, you got to check out the latest Redmi device. Have you, I mean, you're probably getting hit up too. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so many phones coming out, regional ones for, for specific markets and different budgets now. Every single uh, smartphone company has to hit these various budget points as well. It's not just a singular flagship anymore. Even companies like Apple, where we didn't expect it, they had the 10R. 
you know, of course, they do the single launch at least per year. That makes it a little easier. But from a coverage perspective, ultimately, it's a good thing. It means more choices. It means more competition. Spoke about this in the past. But we are at a pace now where a smartphone can be purchased by a regular end user before it's even been announced. I'm telling you, Will, this is a sign. It's moving, it's moving faster than ever before. Motorola doesn't even know what they're making anymore. They, they, don't even, they don't even know when it goes on sale anymore, internally. Amazon, they, they got boxes, shelves full of phones. Like, I don't know. Send, send out the phone. I, I don't know. What, Z4, Z5, Z12? Send the guy the phone. He paid for it. You know, you got to ask yourself, in fact, are we beyond these keynotes? Are we beyond these events when it comes to leaks, rumors, and, and of course, this extreme version of it? OnePlus 7 Pro. I mean, we saw everything before the phone came out. Same with the Pixel. Not maybe less so with the... Th no, we saw everything. With the 3A, we saw everything with the 3. 3XL. Like, these phones are leaking. Uh, obviously, I could say the same about the iPhones, Samsung devices. It's like you've seen it before the event. It's making these events kind of awkward, in fact. No, Note 10, everyone's talking right now. This is our first look at the Galaxy Note 10 design. You see what I'm saying here? It's, it's, uh, it's an incredible pace. And it's bringing into question the idea behind these events. How do you keep something secretive? Are they even trying to keep things secretive? Or have these leaks and rumors become part of, become part of the news cycle? I don't know. So Ice Universe confirmed that this Galaxy Note 10 render is correct. And that's coming from Ben Geskin on Twitter. He's confirming Ice Universe notable leaker. So this is kind of a... By the way, I should just... Side note, that's a nice looking phone. Yeah. That's a really nice looking phone. I don't know how I'm going to feel about the centralized front-facing camera. It does look a bit smaller than the hole punch on the S10, S10 Plus. But in the center, you come back to that situation where it's like it's just a more... It's, it's, your eyes go towards it more than when it's up into the corner. Uh, but anyway, it's otherwise a slick-looking phone with barely any bezel based on this render. But then again, Ice Universe confirms he's the guy. He's the dude. So if, uh, if you believe him, then, then this is what the note's going to look like. So there it is. It, it happens again and again. These leaked phones. This is just the most extreme case we've ever seen, bringing into question the whole idea behind these events and whatnot. Maybe, maybe there's some alternative, Will. Maybe they just got to launch it on Unbox Therapy. Send us the phone. We'll do the event. All right? Let's just cut right to it. Why don't we? Did you see this video? Speaking of the OnePlus 7 Pro, did you see this video? Everybody sent me this video. It was all over my Twitter. OnePlus 7 Pro has a hidden bottle opener. That's the, uh, that's the clip. It was all over Twitter. I don't know where the video originated from. It was Rush Rushil? Rushil Eric Andrews. Russell Andrews on Twitter. Anyway, uh, it's a video of a bottle. Yeah, there, there it is right there. Oh, something is technically wrong, Will. Here we go. It's a video of a bottle, and then a OnePlus 7 Pro emerges into the frame with the camera extended. That is the pop-out camera, of course. And then the individual proceeds to open the bottle, the beer bottle, presumably, with the camera proving just how strong it is i suppose i mean it's a very painful video to watch because it's like you know do we need this well i guess it's kind of nice to know but you know his thing is all scratched up now even if it was strong enough to pop the and jack made an interesting observation he said kind of convenient how the camera and the whole unit goes off camera immediately after it happens that's where the loop takes place seems kind of strategic could this be planted could this be part of a scheme I don't know. It is in a reply to Pete Lau, who is the CEO of OnePlus, correct? So it's very, you know, it's interesting. But it definitely is a OnePlus 7 Pro, and it definitely pops the top off of a beer bottle. So if you can handle uh, tech abuse, you might want to go check out this clip. But, I mean, I feel like we've described it accurately. This is effectively a OnePlus 7 Pro pop-up camera proving its durability to you in the form of a bottle opener. We've seen them hang weights off of the camera. Talked about it in the uh, OnePlus 7 front camera concerns video. Uh, that was in OnePlus's official press material. 
They showed a couple of different durability tests. They talked about how many times it's capable of being extended. And of course, the fact that it retracts itself if the accelerometer inside uh, is able to interpret a free fall, then it goes, hides itself and protects itself. And then of course, Will's showcasing now the cement test in which how heavy is that chunk of cement there? Do, do they say, oh, right there, 30 pounds? No, 10 pounds. Oh, what was it? No, you'd have to go, I guess, back to the beginning because they lifted it slowly. See how tricky that was? 49.2 pounds. It's a very specific weight. Well, huh? Not 50, 49.2 pounds. Okay. So they've got a 49.2 pound cement brick and they slowly lift it up using nothing but the extended pop-out camera on the OnePlus 7 Pro. So, I mean, if you've seen this test, then you're like, bottle, who cares? We can open a bottle, no problem. You've seen people in a pinch, they'll open a bottle with a lighter. Well, we've all seen that before. This is a whole new version of that. Although I don't advise it. Like, please, man, take care of your... Jeez, tech abuse. I'm telling you, it's out there. Don't do it. All right, here's my last story, Will. It's a space story. Got to get a little science in there, a little space. The new frontier. Final frontier? I don't know. Two Russians venture into open space from space station. Now, this caught my attention because of how much I hated that movie. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? They're, they're out in space. They're swimming. They're venturing in space. What is that movie? Which one? There's a Come lot. on, Jack. They're in space. Sandra Bullock. They're swimming around in space. Oh, my God. It's supposed to be dramatic. I'm like, what? they're swimming in space like it's some kind of pool right now. Gravity. Gravity was the movie. I watched this on an airplane, which is kind of a weird idea because, you know. They're out in space and it's all problematic and whatnot. But I watched an airplane. So it wasn't the optimal viewing experience. So that could have tainted my experience a little bit. It was one of the only ways I watched movies that entire, like all of last year was if I was on an airplane stuck, then I'd watch a movie. Anyway, I was dying watching this. I wanted to like, people were looking at me because I had a smirk on my face the whole time. Like they're swimming or we're just going to swim over to that space station across the way. It drove me crazy. And of course, after the movie uh, came out, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he chewed it up. He, he tore it apart. He's like, this wouldn't happen like this, and this wouldn't happen like that. Of course, very hard to watch a space movie as an as a astrophysicist because you're going to poke holes in everything. I wasn't trying to poke holes, I swear. I promise you. I knew it was a movie. I get it. I, I, the whole time going into it. Will's trying to make me laugh with this uh, Sandra Bullock image here. She made 70 million bucks. We're getting an update here. All right. Well, it was a successful movie. Fine. But I couldn't take it. I tried my best. Suspend my uh, suspend disbelief. Is that how they say it? Yeah. I tried, guys. And then uh, they were swimming around. So anyway, this story caught my attention for that reason. This is real. These guys exited their space station for a six and a half hour spacewalk it's the fifth one for that for for these two individuals that are on this russian space station so six and a half hours outside the station itself in real space this is the gravity premise right here this is where everything goes wrong for them and then they float around for a while but this is the real life real deal version of it i i think it's uh i think it's pretty impressive the astronauts oleg Kononenko, Kononenko, and Alexei Ovchinin. Ovchinin. And uh, they were working to retrieve scientific experiments intended to study the impact of space flight that were mounted on the space station's exterior. They also cleaned one of the space station's windows and performed other maintenance. Just, a, just another day at the office, Will. Similar to your work day. Yeah. You know, Uncanny. You just, I mean, this is how you... As soon as you're done the, uh, the, the lukewarm rice for breakfast, just step out of the space station. <laughs> Walk Otis, step out into the space <laughs> yeah. station. What an amazing concept. Like a, it's just so cool. Look at this guy floating around in, in outer space. Sometimes you forget, Will. You don't look up enough. You got light pollution. You got to look up every so often. These guys are out there. They're in the abyss. They, it's just all black around them. Look at the rest of the frame here. The feeling from up there. 
to just imagine how vast everything is. That thing uh, looks like it's going to float away. That's what I'm saying. You could lose something up there. It's, it's a wild ride. And every so often, we got to take a glimpse, look at the stars and just recognize what's going on. And, uh, and then whatever it is that you're worried about, maybe it, uh, it can float away because it's like, look at all that. Look at what's out there, Will. I, I mean, we, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. You start to realize how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's important sometimes. Anyway, Will, that's it for me. I know you got a story yourself. Maybe you even got, do you have more than one today? Uh, just a few. A I'll few? Make it quick. I'll make it quick. Okay, he's going to make it quick. Rapid fire round. Right. What do you got, Will? So Computex, um, a lot of cool stuff coming out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple laptops, which got my attention. Um, Intel released one, which is super cool. It's uh, basically a, a regular laptop, but half of, the, half of a screen is on the side of a keyboard. Hmm. So the keyboard's under the screen as well. So I saw this implementation. I saw the, this, these images floating around, but I didn't realize that with this particular model, it acts also as a second hinge. Yes. So all of a sudden now, the laptop, it has like three different potential layouts. So it could be like regular laptop mode. So keyboard, second screen, main screen, open up. The, I mean, you're showcasing it very well right here. And then there's this second kickstand that can come up and elevate the main display even higher so that it, it is like a, almost a more flat dual display setup with only the keyboard laying flush on the table. There it is. Showcasing right there. That's a, I, er, from an ergonomic perspective, getting that screen up, you're not hunched over. Exactly, yeah. The viewing angle is pretty much like dead on. Like a monitor. Face. Yeah. I like this. This is cool. I'm into this. I mean, granted, there... Like everything, there's a potential downside where one of the things about a laptop, you can still have a conversation over the top of it. Mm-hmm. This could be a very a kind of an isolating thing in a social environment, in an open office scenario. You're behind this giant wall here. But the benefit may uh, outweigh the drawback because, trust me, I've exper- I experienced the, you know, the hunched over thing before and the neck, and it's no good. You know, so this could be a solution to that. Now, this is Intel branded. It's kind of a concept. It's a prototype. It's a prototype, yeah. But the first two parts of it, minus the extra hinge, are actually showing up in functional laptops, like uh, commercially available laptops, right? So first up, you have the HP Omen, the new Omen. We talked about this in a recent episode. It puts a relatively small display below the main display but before the keyboard and then there's a different implementation if i recall correctly in the form of the zenbook pro duo and this is a little more elegant maybe thinner uh less of a gaming centric look to it and they've showcased it in a couple of different scenarios the image will showing me right now has the secondary display as a digital keyboard of course it's a display. You can put whatever you want there. You could use it for tools within your whatever software it is that you're happening to use. Uh, you could just use it as another window for yeah. a web browser to watch video. Yeah, I thought this image was really uh, convenient. She's running Word. Yeah, and she's so typing weird. an essay, but she also has a piano on the second screen. So here's the thing, right? You can tell she's at Computex. Yeah. yeah. And so well, obviously what happened here is she had the Word document first to test the keyboard, and then she was cycling through some of the different demos on the secondary yeah, It's just display. a funny use case. It's just a weird, yeah, she, it's a weird frame. Obviously, she's not typing in Word while uh, accessing a music keyboard, unless it's some next-generation style of Maybe. typing. Typing by notes, who knows? I, no, that's not what's going on anyway. And then there's another implementation, right? Whose is this? Oh, Leno- Lenovo's folding PC, which we're getting in the studio. Mm-hmm. Willie do, ladies and gentlemen. Give this man a pat on the back because in one of these videos, I was like, man, we got to work to get one of these in studio because I want to check this one out. This one is more like the folding phone situation in which the whole thing, the the, the keyboard is digital as well on screen. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to love it or it's going to replace my dedicated laptop, 
but I'm curious to see the folding smartphone implementation in a bigger form format like the Lenovo folding PC. So that's coming. When are they bringing that, Will? Uh, June 11th. June 11th. So very soon. Stay tuned. Unbox Therapy channel. Uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to check that out. So, so many different implementations. I love it, man. Gadgets, technology. It doesn't have to be what it is. This reminds me of being a kid, Will. I feel young right now. It's like it doesn't have to always look exactly how it has. It's a whole, I'm, it's invigorating. It, it kind of, uh, it's a throwback mentality right now. There's a lot happening. People are doing weird things again in gadgets. Don't just put out the status quo. Let's get weird. I love it. What else you got, Will? Uh, so remember the uh, laptop that uh, an artist made? which he installed, I think, six malware viruses. Yeah. That apparently was super devastating. Yeah. So he's an artist. He made this art piece. It's called The Persistence of Chaos. Um, and he auctioned it off. And there's an update. He basically sold it for $1.3 million. Will... Why? Like, what? What is it? Why are you? Why do you want to own this? So he was making a statement saying that, um, you know, our digital lives are really connected to our physical ones. So there are some stakes at hand. Sure. You know, um, these viruses. If you actually go to their website, thepersistenceofchaos.com, you can kind of see all these um, viruses and what they did. And how much money it cost, like in their damages. Government. Yeah. Yeah. So the top one, I love you, virus, affected half a million plus systems and caused 15 billion in damages total and 5.5 billion in damages in the first week. I mean, that's impressive. But what I'm saying is, can't anybody just buy a laptop and install these viruses? Yeah, this is like a simple Samsung laptop. Okay. And uh, he just wanted to make a statement. So he installed six of them, the deadliest viruses. I want to know who bought this. You know what <laughs> uh, I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, can can, uh, can you can you not just get a laptop and download and install? Or is it hard to install? I don't, I don't understand. So it was, a, oh, wait a second. It was commissioned. For academic pur purposes, commissioned by cybersecurity firm Deep Instinct, uh, Guo Odong, who told The Verge that the piece is a way to give abstract cyber threats physical form. Okay. Still, I maybe this is maybe we don't know. Maybe this is hard to do. Maybe it's a, maybe it's hard, Will, to to actually effectively install these type of viruses all at once on the same system. Yeah. But still, I think it's pretty wild. I think it's pretty crazy. But then again, who am I to say? Mm -hmm. it, it, somebody draws a picture, paints a, an image, uh, Banksy. Uh, what's valuable? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess with the Da Vinci stuff, I get that. Da Vinci and uh, there was a new one recently that was uh, not him, but a French artist was sold for a lot of money. Because in those cases, you can't redo it. Like, uh, well, I guess you could. Some people do some pretty decent fakes, but I don't know. Who's to say what's valuable and not? So I hope whoever bought it really enjoys it. They're going to put in a glass case, dangerous viruses. I get it. Sculpture. People, people pay for, for all kinds of different stuff, all kinds of art. So who can really say? $33.7 for this. Uh, what are those? Uh, roasting marshmallows. Hey, yeah. on colorful the marshmallows. Colorful marshmallow roasting. That's probably offensive to somebody who's into that. I apologize. So, anyhow, fancy stuff out there in the world. Lots of ways to spend a million bucks. Well, mm -hmm. maybe uh, that's your future. That's your retirement plan. Just yep. buy up laptops with viruses. I, you know what? I don't recommend it. I don't think it's gonna go well. <laughs> All right, Will, you got some questions for us. Of course, uh, I should mention, I haven't said it in a while. If you want your questions on the show, all you have to do is email will 
at loulater.com. It's simple, really. And uh, he loves it. So send him your questions and you might end up on the show. Here we go. What do you think about cryptocurrency? Do you, do you think a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin will become a major payment system in the future? Uh, man, this is hard. I feel like I've been hearing about cryptocurrency for a long time now, like longer than the kind of original conversation would have had you believe it was going to take to become relevant. Relevant. I, I shouldn't say relevant. I mean, it is relevant. But I guess what I'm saying is the hype around Bitcoin when it, when it first came on the scene was like, this is going to change everything. And maybe it still will. But it's like a lot of things, right? It's like the electric car. It's like the smartphone. I mean, th it takes time. It takes time to become the standard. And in this particular case, this is an area where disruption... <sighs> And development is particularly slow in the financial sector. Like there's a handful of people who get it's very traditional. Uh, but yeah, Will's show, showcasing a tweet right now. Many people don't remember the Bitcoin pizza. This was a, a pizza delivery in May of 2010 in which a pizza was bought for 10,000 Bitcoins. And then this Twitter account just updates you on what those 10,000 Bitcoins are worth today. And uh, I guess that pizza guy is rich. I don't know how that works. But anyway, there was a pizza purchased for 10,000 Bitcoin in 2010, which it wasn't worth very much at that point in time. Today, that Bitcoin pizza would be worth about 80 million bucks. So this is a, this is a fun way to track the price, the cost of Bitcoin at any given moment in relationship to that original pizza um man uh, this obviously this is this is not my area of expertise it seems like a cool thing the idea of this sort of peer-based currency with no intermediary with uh where you don't the financial institution not being in control peer-to-peer peer-to-peer peer financing uh transactions very cool it looks like it's down right now in the latest charts it seems to swing a lot based on a number of factors it's down a bit right now but it's up as of monday it took a big jump from about 7800 bucks to close to 9000 mm -hmm. it swings a lot and that's part of the issue right as far as it becoming the de facto exchange uh medium transactional medium of the internet uh, they, there was some headway being made for a while. If you recall, uh, Steam was actually uh, transacting in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I believe they removed the ability to do so because of the volatility of the currency. Fluctuated so much. It was too difficult yeah. to manage because by the time the transaction would take place in some cases, the transactional amount would no, no longer be equivalent to the item with which was being purchased, it creates an accounting nightmare and all kinds of other problems. So it still has limited usage from a commercial perspective, even as of today. And in the meantime, other more modern payment companies have emerged. You hear a lot about the Cash App and Square, Jack Dorsey's company, founder of Twitter, Apple Pay, Google Pay, all these other ways of transacting in a more modern sense. Now, of course, the Apple card as well. Of course, these still all relying on the backbone of the traditional financial institutions. Bit boring in that sense. But certainly they're looking to modernize as well. They don't want to just let they don't want to let Bitcoin take over because there's no there's less uh, money in, in, in it in that for them. So they're gonna be up against it still. Uh I've heard, for example, that some of the uncertainty with the trade dispute between U.S. and China has led to the could potentially be responsible for this increase in value as Chinese citizens potentially move some of their domestic currency into Bitcoin. Bitcoin has has over the past little while, I guess, acted as this uh, place to hold, hold some sort of value, which isn't tied to a particular financial institution. But then on the flip side... You had a Canadian, the biggest Canadian exchange. I don't know if you saw this news story where like 
millions of dollars just went missing. I almost transacted with these guys as well once upon a time. You can find it. Bitcoin Canada Exchange. Go to news. Click on news because I should just update on this real quick. Uh, crippling exchanges, coin desk, not Cryptopia. Uh, you're going to have to type in crash or something like this. Canadian Bitcoin Exchange. It's going to might be tough to find. It's a bit of an older. Oh, 250 million missing. Where's the money? There it is. February 5th. <laughs> Two, 250 million missing after CEO dies suddenly. What a crazy story. So this company, Quadriga CX, I was actually considering transacting with them at one point in time. And uh, Gerald Cotton, a 30-year-old Nova Scotia resident and the CEO of that company, was traveling in India on December 9th when he died suddenly. Oh, man, conspiracy theories. He's dead in India. Is he dead, though? I'm not going to go into it. That's not the purpose of this show. But anyway, he dies and then 250 mil goes missing. You see that, Will? But he also died in India. So anyhow. Uh, wild story and it just it goes to show you that in some cases man can you imagine you had like 10 million in there mm. 5 million i mean i guess you're not supposed to really be le- you're not supposed to have all your eggs in one basket you're supposed no. to like be distributed but holy moly 250 million goes missing and this isn't the only story i mean the mount gox stuff prior to that so it's kind of like the best thing about bitcoin is the worst thing about bitcoin Mm-hmm. right the fact that it's like cash online amazing that's cool but then also the fact that it's like cash in which case if you got a lot of it where are you gonna put it all will under the floorboards under the mattress let me tell you will 10 million you what are you doing mm-hmm. you'll be a target guy like you mm-hmm. and o- otis ain't gonna protect it no he can't do much he's a small guy you know he can only do what he can do yeah he'll try he you, that's the thing about it is as long as you know he's got your back, and he, he's going to go down with a fight. Mm-hmm. Even if it ain't much of a fight, like, that's got to be warm and fuzzy for you to know he's going to stick up for you. Yeah. So you guys are tight still. Way Good to go, boy. Otis. <laughs> Anyhow, what's the next question? Well, what, what Did I answer the question? Uh, do I think it'll become a major payment system in the future? Uh, Bitcoin specifically, I can't say, but yes, a cryptocurrency will eventually figure all this stuff out Coinbase and some startup, somebody in San Francisco is going to figure this out. It will become a thing. Yes, I agree. But I don't know that it's going to be Bitcoin specifically. It's probably some next version. Next up, what's up, my dudes? Does futuristic tech like from episodes of Black Mirror, like White Christmas or the museum episode, scare you even a little bit? Of course. Jeez, man. We talk about this all the time here on the show. Or, or even before we start filming often. It's not all good with tech. Well, you know, goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, strikes both ways. Flies both ways. Slices both ways. You get something, you give something. This is a common theme here. So it's almost like a direct correlation with however good it is, is however bad it can be. So as the reliance increases... So does the potential darkness. Black Mirror. What a show. I mean. It's great. The the type of the social commentary on what's going on. Episode one. Very first, you know, first episode. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. I get scared. Absolutely, I get scared. Man, I don't even need to watch Black Mirror to get scared. I just look around in public, you know? I was in the waiting room the other day. Everyone was locked in, Will. I'm telling you. Everyone was locked in. You know what I'm saying. And you start, you look around because you put your head up. You're like, you put your head up for a minute and you feel that, oh, I mean, you feel it in the room. Everybody's locked in. And some woman, Will, she had a baby. You know what I mean? In, a, in the car seat. And she's like this, locked in. Let me tell you something, Will. She's locked in like this, and she has the car seat going, and the, the baby is crying, and she's moving the baby like this without looking at the baby, and I'm looking at the baby who is f- uh, trying to make eye contact with the mother. Mm. 
The baby's just like, ah, you know? And the mother's just, boom, boom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the sound. So. I, I get it. Listen, you got the, the images. It's a lot. It's the scary, addiction man. is real. I believe in humanity, though, Will. I'm not gonna go. I, I'm not gonna go to the darkness. You got to put it down. You have the answers. We all do. Use it for you. Don't let it use you. Use it for you. Know the difference. Catch that vibe. Catch that wave where it's no longer functional, where it's no longer delivering to you, but instead sucking you dry. Know the difference. Put it down. Discipline. That's how you win. Okay, next up. Hey, Lou and Will, I'm a big fan from Brazil. Changing the subject from tech to sports. What is your expectation for the final of the NBA? Will the Raptors win? If so, how many games? How can I not pick the Raptors? Toronto. Kawhi Leonard. Prior to Kawhi Leonard, we had DeMar DeRozan on the show upstairs. On Box Therapy. Uh, Raptors fan since day one. A relatively recent franchise to be added to the NBA. And now in the NBA Finals. And I'm telling you, I looked over the past like 20 years, it's not that many teams. You see a lot of the same teams showing up. For example, Golden State, fifth consecutive year in the Finals. But I got to go with the Raptors. How are they going to win defense? Slowing the game down, clogging it up, uh, keeping Golden State out of transition. Kevin Durant's not going to play game one. I'll be there at game one. Keep an eye out for me. I'll be under the basket somewhere. Wherever it was that Jack and Will were sitting earlier. I'm a, I'll be like under the basket somewhere, game one. Uh, I'll be giving Drake a run for his money. With the antics. No, I won't. But I'll be nearby is what I'm trying to say. No one can touch the Drake antics at this point. It's impossible. He's, uh, he's hit next level antics. It's, uh, he's in people's heads. Well done. Do what you got to do. So far, so good. NBA Finals. So far, so good. Far as I can tell. So, I'm going with the Raptors. I'm going to take all seven games, though. It's going, to take, it's going to take everything we got. But, home court advantage. Game seven in Toronto. So, I'll be at game one. I don't know if I'll be at game seven, if it makes it. But, I'm going to take the Raptors in seven. Defense is going to win it. Kawhi Leonard, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, need I say more? Kawhi and Dime. I already I said on Twitter, like people were offering Kawhi things. Somebody offered him a penthouse if he sticks around. Uh, so, uh, other uh, establishments are offering him free food. Uber and Lyft drivers, free lifts everywhere he wants to go. So I also offered up my services. I don't even know how I can be useful, but tech support, 1-800-LOU-LATER, tech support, I'm open. Uh... Uh, personalized product reviews, I'm open. Oh my God, let me tell you something crazy right now, Will. That, right there, what you're looking at, that's my old house. No. Yes, I can't believe you brought up this image live. I, li I used to live there. I promise you, where this mural is painted, that was my wall. On the other side of that was is my kitchen and my living room. I don't, I don't need to go into any more details on that. Yes. And I don't know why they let them paint that there. Uh, the owner must have been cool with it. Probably a Raptors fan. Maybe it's going to get taken down at a later date. But these things are popping up all over the city. That's the level it's at right now. And, uh, and it's just crazy. I was, I was actually at Dairy Queen last night. Dairy Queen's got a new blizzard, by the way. Uh... It's an O. Henry peanut butter combination blizzard, okay? You can't have it, Will. I apologize. No. But, but the whole family had it, and it was, my goodness gracious, it was a whole thing. So just to be clear. And, and in the Dairy Queen, some people in the world might not know what Dairy Queen is. It's ice cream, okay? It's wonderful. Show them the blizzard. Uh, 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 o. Henry peanut butter blizzard. Show it to them. It's a limited time only, by the way. So get yourself in there. Uh, look at look at this. Unbelievable. And they show it upside down because they flip it upside down when you go to buy it. Because they got to let you know it's the real deal. It's real thick ice cream. It ain't going to drip out, you see. So they, they, they put it upside down when you buy it. 
Will, you don't have to get O. Henry. It's got peanuts. You could get Oreo. Okay? All right. So there's options. All right. Uh, there's not free options for Willie Duke. Anyhow, I'm in the Dairy Queen, and the the TV has the news on, and they show the dude who, who, who painted this. is last night. They show the dude who painted this because it just happened, and they're interviewing him like, hey, man, what's the inspiration? Who are you? How can people, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's my house, my old house. And then on top of that, I go, I snap a photo of it, of the screen, so that people would believe me. And then you, without us even having this conversation, you bring up this particular image. It's incredible. Mm. Amir. Jack, can you stop <laughs> it? Jack's trying, Jack, don't take it there, man. There are a lot of these murals popping up. Uh, all over the city. This is a beloved character. People want him to stick around. Sports. Don't start with the sports thing, okay? It's important. Culture. Y even if you don't watch sports, go play a sport. Do something. Get active. Compete. It's good for the mind. Good for the body. You know that, Will? Mm-hmm. Right, get out there, Absolutely. Will. Absolutely. Get out there, Will. Do something. I, I walk. <laughs> but you walk like it's a sport. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, so I had a big argument, you know, sports, Game of Thrones. It's like you, you're not allowed to like both. That was what was happening on my Twitter. And uh, getting back to the Game of Thrones thing, I saw the guy checked himself into rehab. Yeah. He's not, he, he's, dis Snow. he's distraught. It didn't go down the way he wanted. He's as, as upset as the fans are. And then I saw the clip of him doing the table read yeah. with, the, with the princess or a, the queen. Daenerys. With the queen, Targaryen. and he's breaking down. Like, is it, man? What a what? A, I think that and and people said this under the tweet. They're like, this clip is better than the whole show. This is my argument. Real life, the best drama there is. Real life, and that was a real life moment, man. That was no acting. That man was hurt in that moment. And I guess so. I guess did we just is this a spoiler alert situation? I don't know. The show happened already. The show's over. But he found out some news in the script read live, and he breaks down crying. Yeah. Devastation. Devastation. And then you come to find out he checks himself into rehab. Holy moly. It's very intense. It's very insane. So the argument shouldn't be sports or the other. It's like there's a place for narrative. There's a place for discovery in the arts. And there's a place for discovery in human testing and human will and competition through sports. It's all wonderful. Keep it up. Get out there. And uh, Jack just, he did this to me. Jack just did this to me. He thinks that since he's sitting over there, he gets to decide when to cut it. <laughs> so he said it's such a high that it's the time to end the show, but effectively killing the high in doing so. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, Toronto Raptors, game one, Thursday. Tomorrow, I'll be there. And uh, keep an eye out for me. It's, we need all the love we can get at this point. It's the Golden State Warriors. Five consecutive. We need all the love we can get. I mean, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, basketball fan, if uh, you, Hello Kitty, it doesn't matter. We'll take you on board right now. We need it all. Send the love. Send the wishes. Leave it in the comments. Let's go Raptors. Go Raptors.